You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 294 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. I've had many authors and directors and people with authority on the podcast over the years. Celebs in the world I live in. But I'm getting bored with that. I know it makes the podcast grow to have like, for instance, Dennis McKenna on as a guest as I've had in the past or David Icke. But you know what? I'd rather talk to the dude on the street. So without further ado, here's Case for Infinity, a.k.a. Brooke. So thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. So can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do? Um, yeah, I'm just a regular fellow. Um, I was born in England and my parents came over to the States when I was uh, about nine months old. Um, so mostly raised in Virginia. And then um, I was kind of like a atheist. I mean, kind of like a, I would even fight with the Bible thumpers in college. Um kind of that neo-atheism. I was all into that. And then um, I took seven hits of LSD at a cabin in Cumberland County, Virginia with a friend. And um, that night we had a telepathic experience and um, we basically talked all night in our heads. And after that, um, I pretty much assume that everybody is connected um, telepathically all the time. And I basically just aimed for authenticity and I started getting spiritual and getting weird and investigating UFOs and all these things that I didn't believe in before. And then I was like, well, if science was wrong about telepathy, then maybe it's wrong about all kinds of stuff. Um, and now I'm a complete freak. I have no idea <laughs> what I believe in anymore. I, I don't even hold on to any beliefs. I basically juggle them all and keep them there. And whatever puzzle pieces fit, you know, I'll, I'll stick them where they belong. And But I still put my pants on one leg at a time, you know. Um, but basically, now I've moved to California like a year ago, so right before the pandemic. Uh, and now I'm in IT and working out of uh, California. It can't be easy then if you've only experienced California during the pandemic, because it seems to be the roughest place to be during a pandemic considering the rules well la was being crazy yeah california is very weird it's got like this left-wing kind of protective thing but then it's also got this authoritarian protective it's like an authoritarian left wing where they they go a little overboard um and the lapd is horrific i mean god i hated watching that but yeah i mean and my wife left me right before i moved so sure it's been trauma all around Did you spend any time in England? Because I, I um, noticed you on Twitter and uh, the posts you make or the tweets you make. Uh, I was surprised you were in America because it, it's your humor is very British. Yeah, it's very British. It's funny because my parents, um, like we make fun of England and we also make fun of Americans. Like, But I've never really related to either culture. Um, I did go back when I was 
I think three years old and did some schooling in England. Um, I think my grandmother was sick or something. We had some reason to go back. And then when I was 16, um, I still had my green card. So they had to check me. I remember they checked my nether parts for some reason for diseases or something. It was all very invasive. Um, but yeah, I mean, my heritage is Scottish. Um, every year we do like the Celtic festival in Richmond, Virginia. So I put on a kilt and, um, my dad runs the tent for our, our clan, the Cahoons, the Cahoons of Lusts on the banks of Loch Lomond. Uh, but yeah, I've got a lot of British, my parents still have a British accent. So how do you juggle a normal day job with the, your freaky side? <laughs> um, it's actually really I mean, I don't know if it's because of the jobs that I've chosen, but um, I am able to just be authentically me. I mean, I'll occasionally get told off. I just got told off because um, I set a new hire as I set their password as Thirsty Turtles, and I was told that wasn't professional enough. But, um, you know, like just being genuine with people, just showing love to people. Like I really, it is a service, IT is a service job, and I love to just help people and just by showing them love showing them that i care about their stuff i feel like i am energetically imparting something to them i don't know what but um you know that is my what i offer to people i don't want to destroy any female empowerment or anything like that i have two daughters myself but one time i worked in an office all women and only me as a man and uh, the computers didn't work and I couldn't be bothered to do anything about it. So I just told, because they asked me, so I said, oh, just call some IT guy. And then the IT guy came and uh, the problem was that they hadn't plugged in, plugged it in. <laughs> yeah, that's very typical. And that's really funny that you say that because I also worked in an office full of women. I was um, before, but my wife had actually gotten me to move to Boston for three years Um because she wanted to change careers and I ended up, but she was doing this thing called AmeriCorps, which only gives you like a $12,000 stipend for the year. So a thousand bucks a year to live in Boston is, I mean, a thousand bucks a month for a year is, is nothing. Um, so I took a temp job and I was working uh, for an investment firm and they hired me, but I was like a secretary. I was like male secretary. And um I was in a room just full of women, just them and me. And I, my name, Brooke, is spelled with an E. Um, and to my parents, you know, that was a, a typical name. But here in America, it's always Brooke with a K. So I've always been an outcast. Like, I'm not American. I don't know football. And I don't know cars. I don't know um, anything about American universities. Like when I was going to college, I had no idea what any of that stuff meant. And my parents couldn't tell me. Um, I mean, it's just been a, a wild ride, but I, you know, I just adapt in the moment. I'm just like, you know, when I was reading Eckhart Tolle and he was like, you know, all the be here now stuff, like be in the moment, like I can't be anything else. I'm so ADHD. I'm stuck in the moment. So are you using any medicinal marijuana? Yes. Um, and I, in fact, I just got a, I didn't even realize I was buying marijuana illegally. When I first came to California, I called a weed bras, B-R-U-H-S. Um, and this really super nice guy, um, 
came over and brought me weed and I was so thrilled because um, in Virginia I had gotten um, I had gotten arrested. I tried to help my dad. My dad had bladder cancer and I picked him up from the hospital and he was all groggy and all drugged out. And I'd read this article um, from the Guardian or somewhere about this man with bladder cancer and he cured it in 10 weeks using basically Rick Simpson's oil, like condensed, um, like taking the, the cannabis and breaking it down into an oil. I think you can use like a rice cooker to do it. So I was planning on doing that. I went to buy a half ounce and I think, I swear to God, the cops were listening to my cell phone, like using um, one of those devices that kind of spoof cell phone signals so they can, um, I think it's called Stingray. Uh, because as soon as I, I left my buddy's house and it was such a nice, like he had, he was making dinner and he served me some of this dinner. And we talked about chickens and all this, I mean, just the nicest people. It was the nicest interact interaction. And then, you know, and I, and he knew about my dad's health problems and stuff. And I never even bought a half, you know, I always bought small amounts. So, um, as I was leaving, I pulled up at a stoplight. And it said, no turn on red. And this cop came whipping around, came right up on me with his lights on. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, like how you get out of way for emergency services. Well, I turned right and he came, he put his and, you know, came after me, pulled me over <laughs> for no turn on red. And they smelled the weed and that was it. But um, I went through hell. I mean, they put me in a prison cell. My court case, like I paid a lawyer 600 bucks and all he said was, not guilty. I mean, all he said was guilty. And then they took me to a cell behind there. They took my belt off. They took my shoes off. They handcuffed me behind my hands or in front of my, in front of myself, because I remember trying to use the urinal and like my hands are handcuffed and it's just a concrete wall. And then they put two other guys in there. Uh, one poor little white kid who only had like two grams, uh, but a university cop caught him. And then two black kids and they handcuffed us all together like we were in a chain gang and walked us over to go sign paperwork. And it was just ridiculous. I mean, it's just so stupid. It was all such a waste of resources. And then they put us in a prison cell underneath the um, it was just I mean, it was purposeful trauma. Um, and then they put you in. Oh, and I was with actual prisoners, like guys in orange jumpsuits. Um, who were waiting for a retrial. And then they put us in a paddy wagon. They took us over and fingerprinted us, uh, put us in the drunk tank. Um, just, just freaking horrible. And then, you know, I walked out of there and I had only paid for like, you know, an hour of parking. Cause I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know they would throw me in a prison. Um, and, and then they took away my driver's license for like six months. So there was a senator who was doing this. Um, I got involved with Normal, um, the National Organization for Marijuana, something or another. And um, there was the senator trying to pass a law to like at least take away the taking away people's licenses for six months. I wasn't high. The cop knew I wasn't high. He let me go that night. Um, so, I, you know, my driving wasn't impaired at all. Why would you take away my license, my ability to work? I testified in front of the Senate. Anyway, Virginia Senate. Um, it's cool. Did you ever have to do time for that or was it just fine? Nope. Just a fine fines and six months of probation. And I had to work for a church, which is so funny. 
um, like it's just sweeping floors and doing weird stuff for this church. I wonder if the cops who took you and those other people you mentioned, if they like when they come home from work, they're like, yeah, that's a good, good night's work. You know, and I've made the streets safe. Yeah, I, I, tried to, I told the guy, like, look, I said, this is a medicine and you're hurting people like doing this. I said, I'm not telling you this because I'm trying to get out of it. I'm just telling you personally. And it wasn't, you know, it was a few years later that marijuana is now legalized in um, Virginia. So, but it was, and it's all because of Jen Padini at, at um, Normal, uh, Virginia Normal. She was amazing. What a powerhouse. Because I, I remember when I was a child, I, you know, every child or every boy at least at one point imagines becoming a cop when you're older. And the fantasy was always about like uh, shooting like hardcore murderers and criminals or chasing them in a car. You know, like if you have that dream and you become a cop and then you arrest people for this stuff... I mean, they must feel something like they're, or maybe they just want enjoy the power or the dominance. I don't know. Well, that yeah, I think it's two different. It's two different motivations. One is the power, the people that go in for the power. They just want to hold authority over someone. They want to be able to buck the rules and um, drive through stoplights and um, do whatever they want. And then there's other people that really did have this dream of stopping the bad guys as if there are, you know, bad guys versus good guys out there. Um, but regarding marijuana and ADHD, I am what they call a reverse person uh, or an opposite, which means that um, I basically only smoke sativas and I don't like um, indicas. I don't like, so like, I like brain activity. I like keeping my brain really fired up. Um, and I don't get lazy. I like will clean the house and do all my chores. And... But ADHD doesn't don't they? Wouldn't you need something calming? I mean, isn't that the problem? That's what's so funny. In Boston, they would they would have weed strains that would say, um, you know, do not smoke this if you have anxiety. And I would be like, that's the one I want. <laughs> and I do have anxiety. I have a constant sine wave of anxiety in my head that I try to ignore or. Um, at least pass through me without reacting to it. Um, but so the weed does kind of make me anxious, but it also gives me the hyper-focus that I need. So hyper-focus is like, you know, if you're playing a video game, you're into it, you know, and you're, you're right there in that moment. Um, and that's what I need to break through my ADHD in order to focus on something is, you know, enough excitement. And I guess the weed kind of does that. Where I live anyway, I have a feeling that a lot of like young teenagers get classified with HDHD or ADD or something else. And then they uh, seem to live life as a victim. Yeah, I'm like this because I have this. Uh, it's like it doesn't, it, it uh, removes their empowerment in a way. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, have you experienced this? Yes. And there's two, there's another, you know, that's another two ways of doing, uh, dealing with it. And one of them is to, you know, think, oh, well now I've got a problem or now, but I can also think of it as like, I mean, like, I don't want to think of it as like a superpower, but it is, you know, I can keep multiple tasks in my head at once and I just need mitigating or strategies to deal with it. So for instance, my parents lose their keys all the time 
and their wallets. And I am obsessive about putting my keys in my wallet in a bowl by the door every day. I'm gonna, you know, exact same thing. I have to do it exactly the same way. It's not, you know, I have some mild OCD, but it's not like, it's more like just to regulate my ADD. But yeah, I don't, I don't try not to think of myself as a victim. I just, um, I just try and regulate knowing that it's there. I try to regulate and do things, you know, to make sure that I'm still organized. I mean, I know I was late for our meeting today, but I did try. I don't know what I have, but I have something my wife says, and I do know I did have OCD or have some sort of OCD, but I've noticed that it has decreased with age, or maybe it's because I'm conscious about it. I don't know. There's It only rears its head. Before I had a lot of of strange behaviors. The only time the OCD appears now is if I leave the house and I question if I lock the door. And it doesn't matter what I think. And it's so annoying and I know I've locked it, but I have to go back and check. It's like and I, I I've never ever gone back and checked and been wrong, you know, like so it's I've it's always been a waste of time. Yeah, I knew a buddy that um, he would take pictures of the outlets of making sure that things were unplugged just so he could look at the picture and not have to double check. Um, And like some people with that kind of tenacity about things are. So for a while I was into synchronicity and got super obsessed with synchronicity. And I became involved with these people called synchromystics that basically they'll overanalyze movies, you know, watch them over and over again and look for any kind of, you know, there's a hexagon there or there's an octagon and this represents something and this represents, you know, and all this occult stuff and it it all represents these different things. And, um, you know, some of them were thinking that the directors were putting that stuff in there on purpose. And then others of us were like, that's impossible. Like for instance, 9-11, when 9-11 happened, before that, there was a Simpsons episode with, you know, 9-11 written on a magazine cover. I think nine was, it was nine cents and then 11 was something else. Um, and Back to the Future, when he drives away, there's a, a motel with a sign that says nine on it. And then the two lines of the tire tracks make up 11. And then it was Twin P- Pines Mall and it's Twin Towers. And there was a, a, a band called Coop. And they were about to release an album that was releasing in September of um, the Twin Towers exploding. And then you had an X-Files spinoff called The Lone Gunman. And you had um, an ep- the first episode was the guys got stuck on this plane and the plane, they got up to the cockpit and it had this remote flying mechanism and it was flying into the Trade Center Towers. Um, just an insane number of, you know, sinks synchronicities about 9-11 that only made sense in retrospect like you couldn't have looked at all that stuff beforehand and known it was going to happen you can only look back and go what the hell it's like retro causality or something is happening that um it's it's like everything rhymes everything rhymes through time it's a bit synchronistic because just today i was speaking with a guy online about uh, think uh, about apophenia, which is you know what it is is a tendency to to see connections between unrelated things. So I think most of that is apophenia. 
And based because this guy I was talking to, he was discussing uh, uh, the lockdowns and the pandemic and finding the number six 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 in everything. And he was he was a Christ he's a Christian, so he's very religious. Uh, but I told him like, look, here's and I gave him a few links to a few websites that found six 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 in Jesus's name. So it's like you can find six 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 anywhere, you know, if you want to find it. I I, re I mean, of all the synchronicity stuff, which I love all of it, and it's just fun. But I, but what I meant to get to was that I'm not as detailed a thinker as those people. I'm more a generalist thinker or um, <clears throat> like I try and do a higher order level of thinking. I'm not good with the details. I'm not good with remembering all the names and all the <clears throat> the different details. But I, I really hate gematria. I don't know. It really, I just don't think there's any value in the number of letters and adding them up and doing anything with that. It never thrilled me at all. But like, you know, with the synchronicity stuff, like the secret sun, I used to love reading that. And, but that gets into the, um, Oh, what, what is it? The, the Gnostics, um, you know, and that, they all have like this religious background. I almost think that in order to become truly spiritual, like having an atheist background is almost, helpful because you don't personalize anything um you know my sister is uh teach homeschooling her kids and she's like there's two different types of homeschools there's one where the people are like they want to indoctrinate their children and that's why they want to pull them out of out of school public school so they can indoctrinate them with some religious you know whatever doctrine it is and then there's others and they call it secular homeschooling or something and they're they're gathering together and doing it in a non-religious way not anti-religious just non -religious. yeah I, I i find the synchronicities that are most interesting are the things where you like think about somebody that you haven't met in a long time and then you meet them and stuff like that well i mean it, it is it is real like to me that is real those things really do happen and they really are significant and uh, if you kept breaking things down, like reducing a fraction um, into its component parts, you will eventually get to an energy, like everything being an energetic exchange. And there is some pattern that is repeating whether, you know, and I don't think it's just a coincidence. Like that guy is focused on 666 and he's seeing 666, but that is like basically the matrix. So now I don't, there's a documentary called um, A Glitch in the Matrix, which is all about simulation theory. And I've got a case for Infinity WordPress where I talk about, I just found two different articles about um, the universe being an information system. So it's an information processing system. And what the physical body, which is in my mind, not physical, it's basically a part of this system and thought and matter are made of the same stuff. Um, but it is, it's an interpretation of the totality, of the totality of all the frequencies. It is like interpreting a small chunk of it and calling that physical reality and making sure it's causal. Um, but that's not necessarily how the real universe is. In fact, I, I don't even believe in objectivity anymore. I kind of think it's a, a, a like a coalition, a, a, um, a collaboration of all the different subjective realities which is why i can have my truth and you can have your truth and they might be completely different but they both for us have worked out that way you know and are our our personal truths 
I did an experiment because I had a lot of synchronicities in my life. And one day I decided to, because I never, I, I could never prove it or I could never like look at how many I have. You know, I could never like document, uh, show anybody anything. So I decided to, to write it down. But as soon as I started this project of writing them down, they stopped. So it reminds me of that thing where, you you know, I can't remember what it's called, but you know, it's the, it's the reverse thing of, when you do that experiment where the atom only appears if you look at it or, or the, I can't remember how it goes, but oh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle where um, you can know something's location, but you can't know its position or, or you can know it's, it's, uh, it's velocity, but it's not its position or you can know its position, but not its velocity <clears throat> or uh, what's the one with the cat. But yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. And um, I, I actually had, uh, I, so I see 108 all the time. I, it used to be 1111 back in the day. And I got really excited about synchronicities. And the more excited I got, the more they would happen to where I was in magical thinking world. And, you know, it was like I was having a conversation with the universe because sometimes it would be jokes that only I would get, you know, it'd be jokes that were in my sense of humor. Um, you know, like I'd be talking about something and then there would be a play on words that I'd see on someone's bumper sticker, you know, it, it was just the weirdest thing. And it was like the universe was playing, I mean, a game with me. Um, but it felt like me, like it was, if it was my higher self that was doing it, or I was God or something like that. Um, but as I've not gotten, ex I used to chase them. So I used to, if there were, if there was a decision I had to make in my life and there were two different paths, I would look at, the synchronicity and go, well, this means I have to go down this path. But sometimes that would spank my ass um, just as much as it would provide me with a great experience. Um, and then I realized, oh, it's not telling me to do anything. It's just like, wake up. You know, it's just reminding you, wake up. This is a, this is a joke. This is a game. Wake up, wake up every time. Like you, I, I was also an atheist in the beginning. And um, uh, also heavily into conspiracy theories and I was down that rabbit hole in my teens uh, and uh, I know I've left all that behind me because I noticed it's actually not good uh, I mean even though there are conspiracies that I still believe are true it's not really like for instance like JFK for instance uh, I believe it wasn't like the official story but I mean there's no reason for me to waste my energy going around being paranoid about it uh, and I actually something that helped me a few years ago was I discovered uh, the term pronoia which is that the the world conspires to do good for me not uh, that somebody's after you um, but it doesn't mean I'm not the, uh, I don't believe they're conspiracies it's just that uh, I, I don't want to give them so much of my energy exactly and that, yeah, I'm in the exact same place. I used to be heavily into conspiracies. I went down all those rabbit holes and there are conspiracies. I mean, you look at capitalist economies, that is exactly any two people like talking together about making themselves richer at the expense of everyone else is a conspiracy. That's officially a conspiracy. And there's millions of them. They are spending billions of dollars to uh, I, I listened to a woman named Allison McDowell wrenching the gears and she, you know, she's constantly shouting or she researches all this technology and how they're going to have a technology of things. And it's 
trying to, you know, wrangle us into this constantly, you know, being informationally surveilled. Um, and she's trying to warn us, you know, and she started out in the education system and, and it really is a real conspiracy that is happening. But like you, I, I don't want to give it energy. I don't think fighting it is the way to go. Um, and to me, like within every single cell inside of us is something that is uniting us all. So in a way, there is like a conspiracy of good, maybe in every quanta and every quanta of light, there is, you know, like a conspiracy of good. There is some, this is a engine. This entire universe is an engine that is doing something. Um, and maybe it allows free will within a certain set of parameters or within a certain region, but will not let us destroy ourselves or destroy the entire experiment. And maybe, you know, so it, it could be both. We could have free will and we could also be being corralled. But I feel like there is a sense to it all. Um, but I mean, I've gotten to the point where, you know, I, I followed um, near-death experiences, tons and tons. I listened to near-death experiences um, and you can find them all on YouTube, you know, and listen for hours and hours. And these people, you know, they die, they get presented with, if you're a Buddhist, I guess you get presented with a Buddhist. If you're a Christian, you get something more Christian-like. Sometimes it's like aliens, sometimes it's light beings. They basically let you see your entire life again and then let you see your life from the perspective of other people. So you feel it like some guy said he was he beat the crap out of somebody and he had to experience himself beating the shit out of himself. Oh, can I curse <laughs> out of himself and, um, you know, had to feel what that felt like. Um, but then at the end of it, they always try and get you to go back to Earth. And this is where I am now. I follow a guy named Matt uh, Quantum of Conscience on YouTube, and he used to be a conspiracy guy. And now he's like, this is all a joke. He's like, this system just wants you to engage. It just wants you to engage happy or sad or mad or whatever. You know, like he could tell that every time someone went down a rabbit hole, that rabbit hole just kept feeding them new stuff to go down, new stuff to investigate. You know, and he's like, I'm not doing it anymore. I know that it's it's just keeping me on a treadmill. It's it's um, it's just trying to engage me, but you know, now I'm kind of a blob, like, so I'm disengaging, I'm letting go, I'm not attaching, but emotionally I'm kind of a flat line and, uh, I'm numbing myself with weed and like, I don't have any particular, uh, viewpoint, you know, I can juggle all viewpoints. So where am I now? You know, I have no idea. See, I think one thing that would be healthy, but it has to come when the time is right, I guess, is to try and find something to really care for. It could be anything like a, a, a cause or a dog or a child or a plant. It can be anything, but something like you like love. Yeah, I know. And I, um, I would like to... <laughs> um, I mean, I tried, I, I asked people on Facebook, send me all your saddest movies. And I watched them, did not shed a tear. I, I, mean, I haven't been able to cry for years. I mean, even in that divorce situation, there was one time I cried and that was it. That's all I got out of myself. Um, and I'm more likely to cry at something happy than sad, which is weird. Everybody's different, so uh, it's hard to say. But for me, I had similar HDHD issues or whatever term it was. 
And I did smoke a lot of weed for many years. But then when I did my uh, ayahuasca sessions, uh, I stopped smoking weed. I don't I don't smoke it anymore. Uh, I don't need it anymore. And uh, I do cry more naturally. I mean, the weed was numbing. The weed is good, but it's also not good. I mean, it's like... For me, I'm talking now. <laughs> Everybody's different, but um, it was good for that time. But it was it wouldn't be good now. I think it. I mean, I do think it's like some sort of trauma within me, and I don't know when. My father used to be a lot more angry back when I was growing up. I know my mother had major anxiety when they moved to America. Um, there is something wrong that I am fixing, and I try to quit weed all the time. I go, you know what? I'm just not going to buy any more this time. And then a week goes by and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get some weed <laughs> because life just doesn't even feel happy or good or nothing is fulfilling. Um, and then I'm like, well, you know, what's the point of that? That doesn't seem right either. Uh, you know, so in order to live, I want to be engaged in life and be happy and um, and weed gets me there, but yeah, if I could take away whatever that is, I just watched a documentary that just got released. Gabor Mate's the, um, um, the wisdom of trauma. And it's about how collectively as a species, we carry like species trauma throughout, you know, all of the atrocities that have happened in human history. And then individually, we're also carrying trauma. And if you look at our prison system, I mean, we just exacerbate it. You know, these people are heavily traumatized. You know, they they asked them to raise their hand how many of them had trauma growing up as a child, and they all raised their hand. And, um, you know, it's obvious that it's coming from this, from from trauma, and it's getting re-traumatized by putting it in the prison system and not treating it. It's ridiculous. I mean, I think this is one of the major problems of the human beings right now, is how much trauma we're carrying. I think it was Ramdas who said, I think it was him. He said that if you think you're enlightened, go spend a weekend with your family. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I always thought that was funny with the Zen monks, like living up on the mountain. And I'm like, oh, my God, have you tried being married? Like that is a true test of, you know, whether you can really stay internally centered. Um and as far as that goes, I think authenticity is one of the major ways and also like pre-forgiveness, like kind of forgiving people. I mean, don't give them another chance if they're if you know that they're going to um, take advantage of you. But um, but everyone's suffering, like everyone needs a second chance and needs forgiveness. And even if I you know, wanted to rage at my ex-wife for all the things she did. Who's that going to hurt? It's not going to hurt her. It's going to eat me up. So I've never, I've never thought I deserved, like I've not always wanted to live, but I've never thought I deserved suicide because it's an easy out. You know, like I'm always like, I deserve suffering. So I'm going to stay. <clears throat> but um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Loosh. That's another conspiracy that aliens are taking Loosh from us, which is like our suffering. And it almost seems like that, you know, like um, David Icke says that the, the our leaders are all, you know, reptilian aliens, lower fourth dimensional satanic reptiles. Um, and they act like it. I mean, it's just so crazy that they that like we 
we create so much suffering and it's almost like we're doing it on purpose. And I think someone is doing it on purpose, either that or maybe earth is part of a larger capitalist network and we just don't even know it. Like there are, there's universal capitalists and we are pumping out resources for something, but it's certainly not for our own benefit. Yeah. The logical version would be that in order to reach a high, higher place of power, you have to be a psychopath. You can't reach that place uh, in any other way. But then ultimately, above that level, they are actually just actors. They're just actors that are there to play the antagonist, just like a, a person in a movie is there to you know, be the good bad guy. And when the cameras go off, everyone on the set claps because he did such a great got job as a bad guy, you know? I think it's going to be the same way. Like they're actually on our side ultimately. Yeah. I never seen aliens or UFOs. Uh, if they would arrive suddenly, uh, I would, well, maybe that's my naivete, but I always saw them, saw them as good. I never thought of them as going to be, that they're going to be bad. Yeah. It doesn't make much sense that you would make it as a civilization. Once you reach the point of, high technology, but low spiritual um, viewpoint, I guess. You would eventually destroy yourself. Some argue, yeah, but when when uh, Europeans discovered indigenous in South America, they were not kind, even though the indigenous were lower than them in technology and stuff like that. But it's not really the same as traveling across like interdimensional space or like it's a bit more advanced than building a wooden boat. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, like if the, if a, a UFO is so powerful that, uh, you know, they can just push a button and we're finished. I mean, why wouldn't they? I don't know. I'm, I don't I'm not too worried about it. Um, so I don't know if you've ever been to my YouTube channel, but it's. Um case for infinity on youtube and what i do is store playlists <clears throat> so i have like a feedback feedback one two and that is just everything that i've come across i'll put it in there but then i've also got you know weird science and math technology new age stuff the fringe ufos paranormal capitalism conspiracy politics history civilization music movies uh sci-fi, TV shows, video games, board games. Um, and I just store videos and I do it like every single day. And at first I did it, I mean, I basically do it for myself, but then if anyone ever wants to just go and look at videos on UFOs, I mean, I keep a constant playlist of up-to-date stuff. Do you have a favorite uh, alien UFO film? No. In fact, I don't even like Balls in the Sky. I really just don't get excited about Balls in the Sky anymore. There's a long period of ufology where um, that's all we got. <clears throat> and it really hasn't gotten much better. You know, we've gotten much better equipment now. <clears throat> but um, still, Balls in the Sky just doesn't thrill me. I love alien abduction stuff. I just read John Mack's book, uh, The Believer, or a, a book about biography about John Mack who was researching abductions. I loved um, Dolores Cannon's, uh, what's it called? The, um, the Convoluted Universe. She used to hypnotize people and 
because her husband was a hypnotist and she asked a lady like, well, what is, um, you know, like where, when did your back problems start? And the lady was started explaining when they started and Dolores is like, this doesn't sound like our time period, you know, and found out it was a past life. Um, but managed to fix the lady's problem. Um, and I don't know if you've ever looked into past life research, but, um, it seems like, you know, some people will have, like, they'll get hit with a spear <clears throat> and then they'll have a birthmark right where that place was. Or, you know, like children, three-year-old children, remembering that they were an Air, Air Force pilot um, and remembering, you know, details about exactly what happened and them being able to track it down. So she started researching past lives and then got into the reason she wrote um, Convoluted Universe is because it's just started getting so weird as far as time bending, aliens, um, it, it was almost like she was exploring the human consciousness. Uh, she, there was one lady in West Virginia, I think, that um, she regressed her, and the lady turned out to be Nostradamus's assistant. And after she woke up, the you know Dolores was telling her, "Oh, you were Nostradamus's assistant." She's like, "Nostra who? <laughs> I didn't even know who it was, but." So this assistant was um, telling Dolores about what Nostradamus does and stuff. And then one day, and she kept doing these sessions, you know, they would uh, have different sessions. And then one day um, the lady said, he wants to talk to you. <laughs> Dolores was like, who? She's like, Nostradamus. And she's like, oh, okay, I guess put him on. And um, she's like, hello. And he's like, hi, this is, you know, Nostradamus. And she's like, well, you know, are you a ghost? Am I speaking to the spirit of Nostradamus? And he's like, no, I'm alive in my time, just like you're alive in your time. I'm hypnotizing my assistant and talking to you through her. You know, like, how weird is that? Like, uh, and I could tell that Dolores herself did not understand the implications of half the stuff she was hypnotizing people and relaying. And it's all in conversational format. Like it's Dolores talking, then them answering. Did she say anything about language? Um, about being able to he uh, uh, get other languages about people from people? No, I mean Nostradamus doesn't he speak Italian? Yeah, yeah, he speaks a lot of languages. She translated every single one of his quatrains. It's unbelievable. She's got books where she just translates. She asks him about every single quatrain and has it translated. I don't mean who could do that. Like you couldn't. I don't know how any individual like the woman she was hypnotizing. Or Delore, I don't know how anybody could do that. Like, even if it's just a fantasy. I mean, because supposedly these were past life regressions, but in one of them, I think it was like Star Crash or something. This person was like, they'd crash landed on Earth before human civilization had even started. And he, the man walked past this safe or something on a mantle. And Dolores is like, well, go back and open that safe and see what's in it. And he's like, well, I didn't do that in the past, you know, in my past life. And she said, we'll do it anyway. <laughs> and he did and was able to see inside of it. Now, that can't be verified, you know, and was that real? I don't know. But after reading Convoluted Universe, I started to get the picture like, oh, this is all mental. Everything is mental. It's all um yeah, we're just tripping on it. It's a, it's like fantasies that we're generating and then corroborating with each other. And anything we call reality is just the inside center where technology works, where repetition works, where 
things seem to be, you know, A event causes B event. But outside of that is this huge fringe where anything can happen. And that's why the technology thing worries me because we are going to lock ourselves into collapsing all those wave functions. Every time we record everything, we're not leaving room for possible, for, you know, different possibilities for probabilities. I used to have an ex-wife that um, was very detailed, you know, and she'd want to plan everything, which was great until, you know, it rained or something went wrong and then everything's a disaster, you know? And um, I don't live like that. I live completely unplanned. Yeah, I I try I I have a day job that requires like uh, me using a calendar which is a bit annoying because I also would like to live spontaneously but with those day jobs in society you use it's difficult it depends on what job you have but uh, uh I uh, if I if I don't have this calendar I would never uh appear at the right time in the right place you know I, every every day i wake up i look at it is there anything today and if there is something i have to set my alarm because i i'm not going to remember it <laughs> yeah i do the same thing and those, those are my little add mitigating strategies just the ways that i you know help deal with everything and often if there's a booked meeting and i get informed that the meeting is canceled it's always like oh thank god <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't like um, living by the structure, but I, I have to admit that the structure helps me in a way um, that I it, I seem to need it, at least partially. I like to rebel against it, but then I also kind of need it. I don't know if you have a lot of meetings in your job, but uh, I almost 90% of all meetings I have, when the meeting's over, I'm thinking, why did we have this meeting I don't know anything more than I did before. It's like completely pointless. Yeah, I can't stand it. I mean, and I, I really, my bosses had to tell me not to get up because I'll, I'll constantly be getting up or doing something else at the same time because I'm like, I could use this time to actually do something productive. In a sense, the, the, the pandemic has been great uh, with all these meetings being digital and I could do them from home. Because what I've been doing last year is while they're having their meeting, I'm there and they can even see me on video. But what they, what they can't see is that I'm actually playing Civilization VI. <laughs> <laughs> That's very productive. I just read an article that was saying like how, you know, this has exposed so much, so many problems with capitalism, like um, that a lot of useless managers are now like, doubly useless now that we're in zoom culture um and being exposed for that and like offices obviously weren't that necessary having everyone drive to the same place at 7 a.m and causing traffic jams didn't seem to be necessary you know all these this constant competing with each other it's all it's like i'm digging a hole and you're digging a hole and i'm shoveling dirt into your hole and you're shoveling dirt into mine it, it doesn't make any sense it just work for work's sake. Yeah, I, I remember I did I had a job once where I managed to convince the boss that I could come in and leave whenever I wanted as long as the work was complete because they would get a better uh, effort from me rather than I have to be there because I'm not a morning person. To be there in the morning and it's like... I, I, I work much better if I can work whenever I want to and I actually work probably more 
but uh, I put more energy into that. You know, when you feel like it. But that doesn't work for some people. Some people need you to hold their hand. uh, So everybody's different, I guess. That's right. Yeah, and I think Europe just started doing four, or somewhere in Europe, I can't remember where, four-day work weeks and um, found their people were even more productive. So it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like when I was doing that secretary work, like if there was nothing going on, I would still have to sit in that building until 5.30 in the afternoon. It was awful. Just like pretending to work or pretending to do something. But if you're doing IT, can't you just like what you, remote view the person's computer? Yeah, now I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, now in, now in IT, it's much better. There's a certain window that I have where I'm checking out people's help desk tickets and um, helping people with problems. And then for the rest of the time, it's either working on small projects or, you know, someone might reach out to me and ask me for help. But other than that, yeah, I'm basically free. So I'm in a couple of meetings, but yep. Gives me a lot of time to think about weird stuff. So uh, if uh, people want to check out your uh, YouTube, what was it? It's a case for infinity on YouTube. Um, Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, my own videos are really weird. I wouldn't look at those as much. (laughs) Most people go straight to like, they go to someone's channel and they go to videos. Well, my videos, I I don't think you'll enjoy them. Um, There's a lot more content on the, in my playlists and stuff. The stuff that I'm doing is like, I don't know how to play guitar, but I bought a guitar. I mean, I've got an electric hybrid electric ukulele. I've got a soundboard and this head rush pedal board thing. And I just make noise and I just make noise as if whatever plays next is okay. Like I don't understand keys. I never could understand it. Um, so I just play what I want. And I got this looper pedal, or it's it's a delay pedal. You just uh, said the definition of punk rock. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of, or jazz. My therapist said it, it must be like jazz. Um, so I got this delay pedal, and I, I figured out how to do ping pong delay. So left speaker, right speaker. And so I could set it at 800 milliseconds and get two speakers. And, you know, I could say testing, and it would go testing, 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 testing. And I don't know if you know what hemi-sync technology is, but I once went to the Monroe Institute in Virginia and they had this, um, this guy who used to do out-of-body experiences um, came up with this technology to help. And it was called hemi-sync where they play like a 10 hertz tone in one ear and a 17 hertz tone in the other ear. And that'll cause your brain to resonate at seven hertz. So they could force you into an alpha, beta or a theta state. And um, it's kind of like, like, I think, something about the sound bouncing back and forth and not being regular, not, you know, every music or most musical forms are uh, repeated, you know, and that's how they get you in the hook. They get that hook in you. And I don't want to repeat. I just want to do whatever the fuck I want to do at the moment. So there's a lot of that on there. Um, I used to do, I used to, with the synchronicity forum, I used to do, um, there's a, one of my playlists has a lot of videos where I took my Tumblr, I had a kind of gamey Tumblr, and, which is just like people posting images. And I would take those uh, on the synchronistic forum, we would have people, so like I'd post um, the Michelin Man, 
and someone else might post like marshmallows or something that syncs with Michelin Man. They might post uh, Michelin, like if that, like if that was a, a town in Georgia, Michelin, Georgia or something or any, anything, you know, if it looked like a pile of marshmallows, it could look like something, sound like something, reference something. It could be a joke, anything that synced. And then um, I would flash these images in front of the screen at like um, at less than a second and play a soundtrack and hell if the lyrics to the soundtrack didn't exactly line up with this, this um, stuff that, I mean, these images that are flashing in front of your brain. Oh, I called it fractured images. Um, but there's nine of those videos that I did with the synchromistic forum. And they're just weird. I'll just watch them every once in a while and be like, oh my God, I can't, can't, I forgot completely about some of that event, you know, some of the events that are in those images. So like I might see something about Day of the Dead and then I'll watch one of those and it flashes up all these Day of the Dead images. And it's like my subconscious knew to go watch that video again. <laughs> well, uh, it sounds good. I have to check them out. Uh, I like weird things. But uh, it was uh, good uh, talking to you, and uh, I'll link your uh, YouTube in the program notes. Yeah, man. Someone that's not an author, just a regular Joe Schmo, maybe, you know, this could be a new thing. Yeah, I thought uh, I've had a few friends in the past, and uh, but uh, apart from them, usually there's been like a director, an author, or somebody who has something to promote, uh, or somebody who is in... I like fringe people, so no, nobody's like famous in the mainstream. But in my underground world, many of the guests I've had have been famous, you know, to me. Uh, but uh, I got, after many years, I started getting bored with it, thinking like, well, uh, you said a lot of things that were interesting. And I'm sure like a the average Joe has uh, is as valid as somebody who has made a product, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and, and people that aren't promoting things aren't promoting things. That's kind of refreshing. So it was, it was refreshing talking to you. Great. Thanks so much. I'm going to go smoke some weed. <laughs> If you like this podcast, but want to feast your eyes as well as your ears, perhaps you should head over to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Simply search Natural Born Alchemist channel on YouTube and it shall appear. Or click the link in the program notes of this episode. I put a lot of effort into the videos I make and hopefully you'll enjoy them. If you want to support me, please subscribe on YouTube and even better, leave a like or a nice comment. YouTube is severely lacking in nice comments. So with your help, let's change that. Anyway, I hope I will see you there. I'm going to close with the song Beauty by Hayley Harkin. Go to hayleyharkin.com to check out her stuff. I'll leave a link to Brooke's YouTube channel as well as to Hayley Harkin's website in the program notes. Now if you like this podcast, uh, maybe you can help me and share it in social media or leave a nice review on iTunes. It was a while since I had a review on iTunes, so go over there and leave a review. Or maybe join up and become a patron. All the links in the program notes. In the next episode we're going on a mission. 
I hope you tune in for that. Freedom is in the mind. Show.